chemistry is, well, technically, chemistry is the study of matter. But I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now, just, just think about this. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution, this solution just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. It is fascinating, really. You know, guys, I know I'm not very tall, but can y'all see me if I stand down here? All right, I'm going to stay down here and talk to y'all tonight. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, about uh, uh, being so short, but I tried to do something about it, but it didn't work. Speaking of Peter Brady, do any of y'all know who Peter Brady is? Do y'all know Peter Brady hung in the closet to try to get taller when he, you remember, or was that Bobby? One of the two. I think it was Bobby. Well, I've got the Brady thing going on tonight. I went to the football game yes, last night, screamed, went to the volleyball games, all five of them, and my daughter this weekend screamed the entire time. And so if my voice changes while we're going on here tonight, I, I apologize to you. But we've been talking about change, and uh, uh, I, I can't think of anything people want more than real life change. I think that's what we really want. We want our life to change and be that model of who we have. We have this picture in our mind of who we want to be and what we think we ought to be. And we really deep down desire that. But sometimes we probably doubt if that's possible. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about, is it possible for our life to really change? Last week we talked about how God wants us to change to be like Jesus. But tonight I want to kind of figure out why are we struggling with it. Uh, my wife is hopefully going to be here. I don't know if she'll ever make Thrive because just getting the kids back for school. But she's, I think she's going to be with me on a Sunday morning here in a couple weeks. Uh, I think some people are starting to doubt that I have a wife, but I really do. Uh, and uh, she's going to come up and be with us in, a, in, a, in a, I think the first week of November is what we're planning on. Uh, and she's, uh, the, her and the girls are going to come up. But uh, my wife is great. She's faithful. She loves me. She's the opposite of me. I'm like this yo-yo all the time, and she's so steady. You know, people who are high energy, a lot of times they're way up or they're kind of crashing one or the other. But, but my wife is just so faithful and so stable, and I'm so grateful for her. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's just wonderful. She is, she, she's so, she doesn't worry. My wife has worried three days in her life, I think, and it wasn't for the whole day. I mean, that's just the way she is. It just didn't, you know, that's just so opposite. And I, I like to talk, and she pretends to listen. And so, I mean, it's, it works out good in our relationship, you know. But uh, um, it's the quiet ones that are the sneaky ones. I mean, it's just the way it is, you know. And uh, uh, my, my wife used to have a flip phone. Y'all know the flip phone deal. And my girls, when they got to be about 14, they got a smartphone. And my wife said, oh, I don't need that, I don't need that. But I watched her watching. One, to make sure the kids weren't doing anything they shouldn't be doing. Two, uh, watching to, uh, uh, because she was fascinated about it. And so she breaks down finally, and hers breaks, you know. And we get her a flip phone, and a uh, uh, flip phone. Get rid of her flip phone. We get her an iPhone. And this has been, I guess, four or five years ago. And she's sitting on the couch, and we're having family time around the TV. And I hear 80s music playing. 
and I don't know exactly what's going on, but she's, she said, Nick, do you know that you can put like ringtones to people when they call you? I was like, well, yeah, honey, I kind of knew that, you know, and, and so she was sending ringtones to people, and so I decided that I wanted to know what she had done to me, so I pulled out my phone, and we're all sitting here, and I turned the phone on, and here's what happens. Here's what I heard. Y'all know who that is? <laughs> I didn't want that. I mean, I, 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 and I just said, yeah, funny. That's a, yeah, funny. You had Kelly Goodwin. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, hurt. Surely. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to ring that. Surely you didn't think that about me. So when she washed her phone about three weeks later in her jean pocket when she forgot to take her phone out, there was a part of me that was happy. I hate to admit that, but I was. I was happy she did that. So, but she loved her phone, and so I finally said, you know, we need to sacrifice and figure out some way to get you another one. And so she got another one, and a few weeks later, you know what I have to do. I got to find out, you know, if she kept that same ringtone. And so we're, we're sitting there again, and, and I just reach over, and I dial the number. And she's not suspecting. Here's what I heard. I mean, isn't that better? I mean, ooh, yeah, I love my wife. Now, was she overdoing it slightly? Probably. <laughs> but I, I'm glad she changed. But here's the question I have for you. Do y'all ever feel like both of those guys live inside of you? You know, that, that both of those guys are very real in your life. I don't know about you, but I do. Uh, I wake up in the morning and I'm going to be Superman. I'm going to treat people right. I'm going to get all my to-dos to done. I'm going to be very productive in the day. I'm going to just, it's going to be good. I'm going to lay my head down at night feeling like I accomplished everything I wanted to do. And then somewhere about a mile down the road, I get behind an idiot. You know? And all of a sudden I start to feel that other guy. And then my boss or somebody calls and says, Oh, I got something for you I want you to do because I know you don't have anything else to do. And you feel that coming on, and then uh, somebody at work who really gets under your skin is having one of those rare moments that day, or, or one of your relationships is sideways, and all of a sudden you feel that other person coming up inside of you. And uh, that's what I want us to talk about tonight. I want, I want to talk about how can, we, how can we become what we're intended to be? How can we be that that person God has created us to be if that other guy keeps showing up. Now, to make sure there's no confusion tonight, I'm going to give you some things real quickly tonight. When we choose to follow Jesus, three things happen. The first thing that happens is our sins are forgiven. Our sins are completely forgiven. Everything you've ever done, lying, hatred, uh, lust, greed, pride... Everything is completely forgiven when you trust Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, that all the prophets testify about him, all of them, that everyone who believes in Christ, in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We get this. When we're saved, we are forgiven completely. And because we're forgiven, our home in heaven is secured. And so that's the second thing, that our, our home in heaven is completely secured. Uh, the Bible says when we believe that God puts his spirit inside of us, and it's like a, a deposit on our life. When you heard, notice that's past tense, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, past tense, you were sealed, past tense, sealed, kept, you're his, with the promised Holy Spirit. I mean, you, you see that. At the moment you believed, Something happened in your life, and you were completely sealed by God. And listen, it says that this sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance, and that's talking about your home in heaven. 
Your guarantee of your home in heaven is the fact that God has put his Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, that happened in a moment when you believed in Christ. And in that moment when you believed in Christ, a third thing happened, and that is a change process started in you. God didn't just save you so that you could go to heaven when you die. That's a blessing. God didn't create you so that you could go to heaven when you die. God created you so that you would look like Jesus. We talked about this last week uh, in our early services. I, for, I wanted to finish Jonah so bad last week. I didn't get that to y'all in the late service. But here's the verse we talked about last week to catch you up to speed. Those he foreknew, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now we get so caught up on those first three lines that we miss the important part of this verse. The important part of this verse is God wanted people who looked like his son Jesus. To, and so he created you, he predestined you before you were ever born, before you were ever thought of. You know, he, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And at the moment we believe we start to become more like him. Now, if you've never started this process with Jesus, for you tonight, the thing that you're supposed to do is give your heart and life to Christ. Now, for me, I did that when I was a 13-year-old boy. I talked to a man last week who was 61 years old, and he gave his heart and life to Christ. It's not about how old you are. It's about open heart and open faith that says, I can't make it on my own, and I need God to forgive my sins and take me to heaven when I die, and I need him to change me. But that starts in a moment in time. But then a process begins in you. Now, one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I think we've already got this up on the screen, but one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of James. And if I were to summarize the book of James, that's it. Real faith changes you. Real faith changes everything about you. Real faith is not just the Sunday put on your nice clothes, come to church, listen to the music, smile, like, act like you like the people around you faith. I'm talking about real faith that changes you in the deepest part of your being that changes every bit of you, how you treat people, uh, how you handle your money, how you treat poor people and rich people, how you talk. Real faith changes all of those things, and James deals with that in the book of James. Um, and, and since I want to please God, I mean, that's my goal of my life, is to please my Heavenly Father. Since I want to please the Heavenly Father, uh, I, I want Him to change me. And but here's where it rubs. And now it's a preacher who's been preaching for 30 years. I'm 46. I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old. I'm 45. Whew, man, hold on to that. I've got three more months. <laughs> I'm 45 years old. I've been preaching since I was 16. That other guy wins so much. That Darth Vader in me, he wins so much in my day that sometimes I wonder... Man, can it, really, can it really happen? Can I really change, or am I always going to be stuck in this spin cycle? Uh, some of you maybe have been coming to church a long time, and you're like, can I really change? Can that thing that nobody knows about? Yeah, he talks about faith is supposed to change all of us, but I have no idea how it would ever change that. Can it really happen? Well, I, I, I'm here to tell you tonight that it can happen. Uh, now, before we get into James chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at James chapter 4. I want you to follow along. I want you to be skeptical. Check me out. Make sure that I tell you the truth. You know, in James chapter 4, uh, we're going we're to study verse 1 to 10 tonight. We're going to do it pretty quickly. But before we get there, I want to make sure you clearly understand this dilemma that we all face. The Bible teaches that before we're saved, we all have one nature, and it's sinful. Every one of us have it. We're, your baby is beautiful and cute, and until they're about three, you think everything they do is so sweet. But there will come a point where you realize 
that even that little three-year-old is a selfish little rotten thing. They are. They are greedy. They will be mean. They will bite. They will steal. They will be selfish. Why? Because everybody is born with a sinful nature. We've all got it. Not one of us escaped it. We want to say that we're all innocent, we're all pure, and we're all beautiful, and we're all good. God created humanity, pure, innocent, and good. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it came in like a flood. It's passed on from every person ever since then, and we all got it. We are all contaminated with the disease, and it's in us. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's there. Um, once we die, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll only have one nature. And that will be godly. So we, when we were born, we had this one nature. And I, I want to clarify about the bad nature. It's not that we all do the worst thing we possibly can. It's that we can't do the right thing consistently. We just can't do it. I mean, it's like a moth drawn to a flame, that part of us that does the wrong thing. If we get saved, when we go to heaven, we are going to have just one nature again, where it says, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Yes, Lord, praise you, Lord. You're good, Lord. And we have that peace, calm, joy, assurance, great thing that we have whenever we've done the right thing. You know, you lay your head down at night and everything's good thing. Uh, the Bible says that this change is going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed well we're going to be changed because we'll no longer have that nature that fights against God but it's in the meantime from the time that we were lost to the time that we die that I want to talk about tonight in, in the meantime we have two natures and those two natures are at war with one another uh, they fight and they struggle against one another. Now, I've tried to explain this a thousand times, and the best I've ever learned how to explain it was from a book called Dug Down Deep, and it was written by Josh Harris, and he uses cartoons to explain it. So let me, let me explain it to you. Uh, this is you, okay? You were created in God's image, and you were good. Now, ladies, I'm sorry you have to identify with this little feller, but, you know, and I don't really know why he doesn't have clothes on. But anyhow, this is you, all right? This, next picture, is your flesh, your carnal desires, that part of you that's against God, that part of you that, it, it, it's not the flesh you touch, but that part of you that does what is wrong and wants to do what is wrong. He's kind of like a job of the hut meets a WWE wrestler guy, you know? But th this is, these, the, he is the cravings that are inside of you. Uh, this is how you related to the flesh when you only had one nature. You were a slave to the flesh. You were in chains. You were in bondage. You couldn't do anything about it. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, 17, it says, Once you were slaves to sin, all of us, thank God, when we come to the cross, this is what happens. Notice the next picture up here. It says, it shows us that when we come to the cross and we submit to God, he sets us completely free uh, in the instant that we trust Jesus. He, uh, this evil one that's in us no longer has control over us. The chains are broken and we get clothes, which is a good thing. Uh, but then here's what we're, we're talking about tonight. That guy doesn't go away. Go back to that if you don't mind. Yeah, Th this guy doesn't go away. He's still there. He's still present in our life. Darth Vader, I hate to say this, is still in me. He's still very much in me. I wish he weren't, but he is there. 
and he is going to be in me, and he or she <laughs> is going to be in you until you die. Okay? If that's the case, then I ain't got a shot, right? How am I ever going to win? If that guy's there, how do I win? Well, we're going to talk about that right now. James chapter 4, verse 1. You got your Bibles, follow along. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, listen to what he says next. Is it not this, that your passions at, are at war within you? James is talking to church people, and he says, here you are fighting and quarreling, and I know you can't imagine that ever happening in church ever. You know? <laughs> but he says, what causes this stuff? And he says, it's that ugly guy rearing his head up. That's what's causing this stuff. Your carnal desires, your flesh, that's what's causing this in you. Um, verse 2, you desire and you don't have. You, you, so you murder, you covet, and can't obtain. So you fight, you quarrel. See, church becomes, for a lot of people, and he's talking to church people here, and for a lot of people, church becomes all about them. And other people are only objects that are there to gratify their desires or to make their life better. And, and when, that, when other people don't accommodate your selfishness, you get mad at them. I want to drive 75 mile an hour, even though it's a 35 mile an hour speed zone. How come this idiot's only driving 40? You know, doesn't he know I'm in a hurry? And so we get mad. You know, that's the way our life works because it becomes all about us. And when it's all about us, we get frustrated and we quarrel and we fight and, and we don't get our way. And so then we want to get even. And that's what's going on in this text. And go on to the next part. He says, and you don't have because you don't ask. Now, you might think, oh, I don't understand how this fits in. Well, you don't have peace in your church. You don't have good in your life because you don't ask God. But even when you do ask God, listen to what he says next. He says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You don't ask God for help with you. God, help me be patient with people. God, help me be kind with people. Help me be like Jesus. Help me not be petty. Help me not try to get even. Help me not. You don't ask for God's will. You ask for your own will. God, I want you to work it out the way I want. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. You've got these desires, and even when you turn to God, this is true, a lot of people don't turn to God for God's sake. They turn to God for their sake. They don't turn to God because he's great and glorious, and he sacrificed his son on the cross so that we could be right and whole. And, and, and for fact, they turn to God because I went, in, I, I went to church. He's supposed to pay off. Where are you, genie in the bottle? You know, this, you, we all know this universe is about us, not about God. So we show up, and God, you got to pay off. And God says, that's not the way it works. And then, what we're learning tonight is it is our job to fight this. Because it's in us. It's in me. I want, I want church to work the way I want. I want my life to go the way I want. I want people to accommodate me. I want people to work around me. And that is the that evil part of us in us that's all about us you know it's against god it's not about his glory it's about my glory and we've got to fight that we've got to constantly be battling that and the people james is dealing with aren't even trying notice verse four he said don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with god Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, now, what's it mean to be a friend of the world? And this gets tricky because 
you know, some people think this means you can't wear nice clothes, you can't listen to the radio, you can't watch TV, you can't laugh at a joke, and I think there are some bad jokes, and there are some things we'd be better off not listening to or watching, and absolutely, we should be dressing modestly, and men, y'all need to work on that. You know, absolutely, we need to, you know, be doing these things, for sure, but here's what I found. Churches like to make lists. Have you, have you ever, you ever seen that? Churches like to make lists of what you can do and what you can't do. And every church has their own unique set of lists. But you know what a list of don'ts is? It is enticement for the flesh. You tell me that that bench is, you're walking in the park and you see that bench and it has a sign that says don't touch wet paint. Every part of us wants to touch it to see if it's really wet. Will it really burn me? That's why I don't like making these lists of things you should do and you shouldn't do. When I was growing up, they used this verse, like when I was a kid, you know, in, in revival services. How many of y'all, I'm not going to spend a lot, do y'all know what revival services are, most of you? Okay, revival service is just where a church gets together and they spend like five or six nights in a row preaching and saying, why are we not doing what God wants us to do? And so you have like church like five or six nights in a row, kind of like high intensity. When I was a kid, about 16, 17 years old, I was learning to preach, so I went to revivals everywhere all the time. And you always heard this verse preached. Friendship with the world is enemy with God. And, and that, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's why we're not doing well. We're friends with the world. But then they would go on to describe what a friend of the world was. It's somebody who listened to Elvis or the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or, uh, in my generation, you know, maybe Aerosmith. You know, it's, if you listen to those, you're of the devil. I mean, and that's kind of what it was. That's the wet paint thing. Don't listen to those. So I thought, okay, I'll fix it. I just won't listen to those guys. But the problem is that doesn't get at the heart of the issue. Friendship with the world, in my definition, is desiring to be like people who don't love God. You know, let's not make lists. Let's just ask myself, do I want to be like people who don't love God? I'm here because I love Jesus. I love what Jesus has done for me. He has saved me. I don't deserve it. I'm not even close to deserving it. I, I, why God loves me, I don't understand. That's the, that's the biggest mystery in the world is why God would love me. And, and yet he sent his son to die for me, and now he lives with me, and he gives me peace. And when I sin, and... and, and, and and I look up, he still loves me. I mean, that's amazing to me. I don't understand. Why in the world would somebody who loves Jesus that much want to be like somebody who hates Jesus? I mean, think about this a minute. Kevin, I forget your wife's name. Amber, I knew that. I was going to say Amber, but I thought, it's not Amber, and she's going to ask me who Amber is. <laughs> and so that would have been really bad. Kevin, if someone in your life hated Amber and you went home all the time and said man they're so cool and so awesome how do you think that would make y'all's relationship yeah I mean y'all get this don't you I mean and yet that's what we do we watch people on tv who are living in ways that are anti-god they're proclaiming that they can't stand god you know, and our kids want to dress like them, and our, uh, we want to have their money, and we want to have their fame, and we want everything they have. How must that make God feel? You want what people who can't stand my son have. That's friendship with the world. Uh, and when we're friends with the world, we're feeding the flesh. You know? And uh, 
And the problem is when you feed your flesh, you know what happens to the flesh? He gets big and he starts pushing you around. And you're not in chains, you're free to break this bond. But we look at him and we think, oh, he's big. I don't know how I could ever beat that. That dominates my life. I can't handle this. I'll never be able to get out of this. And that's the way we often feel. And before we know it, the flesh seems to be stronger than we are in pushing us around, and we're miserable, and our testimony's hurt, and God's not happy. Did you notice I left out a word? Remember, I told you you're to be Baptist, and you're to look at the Bible, and you're to be skeptical. Did any of you notice that I left out a word a minute ago? Did anybody, did anybody catch it? Gotcha. Adulteress. That's it. Listen, there's not one word that's in the Bible that's not there for a reason. Yes, God used man to write the word. Yes, God used context and their personalities. But he superintended this process. And, and when he says, you adulterous people, it wasn't just to make it sound good or bad. He's comparing something here. Throughout the entire book of James, he's talking to believers, to believers, to believers, to believers. He uses the word over and over. I think it's like 17 times up to this point. He says, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers. And then when he gets to this point where they're following their flesh instead of the spirit that God has put within them, he said, you're adulteresses. And here's the point. A believer's life that's not changing and is living according to those desires that are inside is like a person who's having an affair when you glorify things that are against God, it's like you're talking to somebody else. And if your speech is not changing, it's like you're getting emotionally attached. And if you're not trying to conform your emotions to Jesus, it's like you're sharing your bed with another. And if you're not in the Word, but you're always on your computer or your phone, it's like you're not coming home at night. And if there's no growth in your spiritual life and you say you're a Christian, at best, it's like you're cheating. Through the years, I've walked as a pastor with people who have been cheated on. And you talk about one of the toughest meetings a pastor can ever do is sit in a room with two people, and one of them has said, I didn't care enough about us to not do something with somebody else. It's a rough place to sit because there's sometimes the shame of one person but there's always the confusion and the brokenness and the I don't get it of the other. And you're right here in this room and you feel these feelings and all of this pain is going on. And, and, and the Bible says that God has those exact same emotions about you. Listen to what it says. Very next verse. I'm not adding anything here. Check me out. It's fine. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says? By the way, I want to stop there. You, you, do you all know what that verse is saying? Do you really think God just threw stuff out in the Bible just, just to throw stuff out in the Bible? No, there was a purpose for God saying something. He says, do you suppose that it's of no purpose that the Scripture says that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? He, I don't know what you believe about salvation, but I don't believe I deserved it. I believe that God rescued me when I didn't deserve rescuing and he did something for me that I couldn't do for myself and I thank him for it and every day I get up I say thank you God you did something for me. That's, you know, that, that's the way I feel about it. He put his spirit inside of me. He trusted me and said you're mine. I love you. 
and yet I'm not faithful with that spirit. I follow that old guy, that Darth Vader guy, way too often. God is jealous of that, and he wants you to be changed and all of you to be like Jesus. And you know, when I'm sitting there with those couples and I'm hearing these stories of unfaithfulness, I hate to admit this, preachers think this way. While I'm listening, I'm not like judging them or condemning them because I know how broken people are and I know they're messed up. And some of y'all maybe have messed up and you've been there. You, you, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not throwing rocks at you and condemning you. We're a flawed people with this great big sinful thing going on. But when I sit there, I'm like, man, if my wife did that to me, I don't know if I could like stay with her. I mean, that's just, that's just honest. I would hope I could. I mean, I, I know that sounds weird. I said that this morning. I think some people looked at me strange. I would hope I could. I hope I would have enough forgiveness and restoration in me to say, you hurt me bad, but if you want to be loved by me, I will love you still. I would hope I have that. I, I don't know, but I'll be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I, that's, that's just the truth. I just don't know. And that's why the Bible permits divorce, by the way. Uh, in fact, you know, the Bible teaches that, especially in cases of, of adultery, that, you know, man can't figure that out all the time, how to reconcile, because we still got these two things going on. But I sit there and think, I don't know if I could forgive, but I got news for you. I know what God thinks about those of us who've been unfaithful, because I read my Bible. Look what the next verse says. He gives greater grace. He gives more grace. We've been unfaithful. We're adulteresses. We're enemies of God. And yet he still gives grace. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that every morning his mercy is new. I'm so glad he hadn't checked out on me. I'm so glad that his love never fails. James's message is not to beat you up. And you might feel beat up right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to beat you up. James is not trying to beat you up. It's to motivate you to love Jesus faithfully. And how can we do that? Where the flesh is not dominating our life, but the Spirit of God is in control. And here it is. You got to starve that sucker. You, you want to beat the flesh? You want to beat Darth Vader? You got to starve him. You, you, you simply have to starve him. Uh, and that's what the rest of this passage in James is about. Uh, we've got to get to the point where we are growing like Jesus and falling less frequently. Let's look real quickly at the rest of this passage. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Guys, God's will for your life is not for you to show up on Sunday nights at Thrive for one hour and check out on Him for the other hundred and what, 40, how many ever there are, you know? That's not his will for your life. His will for your life is that every area of your life, you would say, Jesus, you can be Lord. You desire the lordship of Jesus in every aspect of your life. In front of the computer, behind the wheel, on the telephone, in front of the mirror, every aspect of your life Jesus is to be Lord that's what he wants because he's wanting to, he created you to change you to be like Jesus that's, that's what he created you for look at the next part of the verse it says resist the devil and he will flee from you second thing I think we learned from this passage is in your area of failure you've got to resist the devil you know, that might mean getting rid of cable or giving your wife your password to your internet. Or not talking to somebody who causes you, who aids you in talking about others. Or 
not being around that person that gives you feelings that you shouldn't have because you're married or not going to places where you know you end up doing stupid stuff and doing, then doing more stupid stuff. I mean, I'd much rather, Jesus said it this way, and I don't want to get you too confused, but Jesus said it's better for you to pluck your eye out than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, Jesus obviously didn't mean that we were literally supposed to take our eyes out or everybody would be blind. You know, because our eye sins all the time. But I think what he's telling us is it is so much better to get rid of something that you think is attractive at the moment so that you can salvage that which is eternal. Um, next verse. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Um, and I think this just teaches we should develop our relationship with Jesus. You know, for, for, for many people, the problem that we have uh, in yielding to Jesus is not, you know, uh, that we don't try to resist the devil. I mean, my goodness, I hate Darth Vader. Every morning I wake up and say, God, I don't want to be like that anymore, ever. Help me. And I'm like, okay, I'm never going to do those things again. Wet paint. What we have to do is we have to find something that's more beautiful than our sin. The reason we give in to sin and those old natures, we think that sin is more beautiful than God. That's it. If God becomes more beautiful to us than sin, we will starve our flesh. So we have to develop our relationship with Jesus. Now, another thing that I would say we have to do is repent of our unfaithfulness. Um, it's a little bit confusing, but he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Next verse. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I, I just want to camp here just for a second because God is gracious, and he loves us, and he forgives us, but then he says he wants us to weep over our sin. How you put those two things together? I mean, you know, that's kind of complicated, isn't it? How do you, how do you mesh those two things? Well, I, I, I think what has to happen is you have to get to a place where you realize that your sin is harming your love for God. And the only way to do that is to live in the mess for a while. My daughter... Uh, my oldest daughter, uh, I was telling you, she's going to Asbury. She's a volleyball player. She's in her senior year at Tate's Creek, and they're really good, and da-da-da-da, yada-yada-yada. And uh, she's, like, barely hanging on to the varsity. She plays and starts, but they've got kids who are going to Ohio State, and one going to NC State, and another going to Indiana State. And she's like, she's this kid who's average on a bunch of great, with a bunch of great players. And that's kind of how it fell for her life. But she, her heart sometimes I wonder if it's any bigger than like this bottle cap sometimes <laughs> you know she loves Jesus but don't mess with her that's kind of her you know what I'm saying I mean she's like alright she's a rule person I keep the rules you should keep the rules you didn't sorry about your luck dummy that's kind of <laughs> my other daughter who's 14 has got like the heart the size of Texas I mean, she forgives, and she's kind, and she would give every dime she has away, and she would do anything for her friends because that's just the type of kid she is. Well, the other day, or other night, it was Thursday night. We had had a ball game, and they were telling me about something that happened. One of the kids didn't get to play. who's a freshman who plays a little bit, and she didn't get to play. 
I said, what happened with so-and-so? She didn't get play. And my daughter said, she sent a message about the coach that said she hated the coach. And some kid on the team took a picture of it on a Snapchat, took a screenshot, and sent that to the coach. And I said, wow, she shouldn't have been saying that about the coach. But man, what a low life would send that to the coach. My daughter just sat there and was quiet, and my oldest daughter said, well, I know who it is. And, and later on, she told me it was another girl on the team. Which, I mean, this is little girl drama, but I got two little girls. And I want to be in their life, so I have to listen to little girl drama. You know, and so that's what's going on. I get a phone call from the mom of the girl who got benched. It's 7.30 in the morning and said, your daughter sent this picture to the coach. Not my daughter. My daughter's got a heart the size of Texas. She'd never do that. She might have said something bad about your kid because she likes to be liked by her friends, and if she thought you were running her down, da, 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 she might try to get even, but she would never do that. About 1.30, I get a phone call from my daughter, and she says, Dad, um, you, you, you need to come get me. I said, why? She said, I'll tell you when I get home. She started feeling so guilty because that night I was sitting there and I said, man, who would do that? What kind of law life would do that? Well, my daughter's sitting there listening and it was my daughter who had sent that picture. I was so ashamed. How could you do that to your teammate, to your friend? Hadn't you ever said anything that you wished you didn't want screenshot and sent to somebody? What were you thinking? You know what I did? She told me the whole story. The girl had been kind of talking bad about the other kids who didn't play at a higher level and yada, yada, yada. And her friends had all kind of started texting and talking, and she had that, and they said, send it to coach and to be liked by the other players. It wasn't to hurt as much as it was to be liked. She sent it. And I could have easily said, oh, I understand why you did that, honey. But let me tell you what Dad did. I said, all right. I love you. I hugged her. I said, this was really wrong. I said, now get in the car and let's go. And we drove over to the house of that lady who I'd said my daughter would never do this. And I said, tell her what you did. Balling. She had to tell. And I said, I'm really sorry. I, I spoke without knowing. Please forgive me. I said, okay. Now let's go talk to her daughter that you sent the picture about. We went and found the daughter who was at a different location right then. She apologized to her daughter. I said, okay, now let's go to the coach because it had become team drama. And I said, I want you to go tell the coach what you did and tell her you're sorry. And I went to bat for the other kid, and I said, coach, I know she said bad things about you, but every one of these kids have, including mine. I said, that's just part of being on the team. You get frustrated, and she didn't mean it. You know she didn't mean it. But my daughter did something wrong. What do you think needs to happen? Here she's just bawling in front of her coach. And then the coach said, well, if it's become team drama, maybe she needs to stand up and apologize to the team for breaking their trust. 30 kids. I didn't go into this one. She had to stand up and apologize to the folks. And you know that was a rough four or five hours for this kid. And Dad could have probably stopped it immediately by saying, she was wrong, you did the right, I could have fed that. But you know what that would have embedded in her? A lifetime of thinking it's all right to fight fire with fire. 
The Bible says don't overcome evil with evil. It says overcome evil with good. And so I wanted to teach you something different. And here's what happened. The next day, we were still playing in that same volleyball tournament, and my daughter, who everybody was saying they were going to get the kid who did this, she was thinking, I'm going to have to move schools. I'm going to have to quit the volleyball team. I'm going to lay off. You know, they were all high. They asked her whole team, asked her to come and the whole team to come over, and they had a great night last night. I talked to her this afternoon. They had a great night spending together. I let her cry for a little while because crying for a little while was the only way she was ever going to remember that this is painful and hurt you and hurt others. I still have her phone too, by the way. <laughs> Probably going to have that for a couple of weeks <laughs> because you don't use that as a weapon. <laughs> but, uh, but because she did what was right, now all of a sudden the guilt of sin is gone. You know? And that's what we want. So guys, if the band would come on up, I want to share with you one more point while they're coming. Here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe that God can change you. Uh, see, I believe Jesus died and was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead. People talk about our beliefs. You know, some people say, you believe the Bible? How can you believe that stuff? I believe a dead man got up. <laughs> I believe that. I believe a lot of stuff. You know, I believe that God spoke and the world came into existence. You know, I mean, I, I believe that God's going to take me to heaven when I die. You know, I mean, I can believe a lot of stuff. Now, now, let's bring it to this message. If you have this Darth Vader inside of you, some of you have bought this lie. There's absolutely nothing that can be done about that guy. If God can raise Jesus from the dead and take you to heaven when you die, I mean, this is tiddlywinks. This is as easy as it gets, taking care of that guy. He can. Here's how it happens. Last verse. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll exalt you. That's basically saying, Lord, I can't. I can't. But I believe you can. I mean, that's, that's, that's our faith. That's a faith issue. I can't handle this all by myself, God, but I know you want me to change. And I've proven I'm a failure. But I trust that you're not. Will you work in my life? We're going to have time now where we kind of start wrapping up. And, and, and uh, uh, you can come and take communion if you'd like tonight. Um, if you want to talk to somebody, I'd be glad to talk to you. Um, you can give your offering at this time if you want. If you've never been baptized and you'd like to commit your life to Christ start that moment with him in that process you can come as well I'd be glad to talk to you we're going to stand and sing and if you need to come you can come right now